Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. We are continuing to work our way through the New Testament part of our Bedford Alliance Church reading plan. And right now we are in the Gospel of Luke. And just to remind you of some context of the book, remember the first few chapters of Luke kind of lay the groundwork before Jesus begins his ministry. It talks about preparations for Jesus' ministry. It talks about his birth, John the Baptist, Jesus being tested, all of those things. Then chapters 5 through 9, Jesus does ministry in and around Galilee, which is the the region where he grew up. And if you're not familiar with Galilee, remember that this is the the first century we're talking about here. And Rome was in control of this entire area of the world. It was the Roman Empire. And within the Roman Empire, there were different provinces or different regions. And the area right around Jerusalem was known as Judea. The area north of Judea was known as Samaria. Remember, the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along very well. And then north of Samaria was Galilee. And that included places like Nazareth, Capernaum, areas where Jesus grew up and and lived. So in in chapters 5 through 9, Jesus does ministry in in his hometown area. Then chapters 10 through 18, Jesus does ministry on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus has fixed his mind on getting to Jerusalem. Why? Because he knows he's going to lay down his life there for other people, for all of us. Then in chapter 19, Jesus actually enters Jerusalem. And then the rest of the book talks about his time in Jerusalem and, of course, his death and resurrection. Now, this week's reading is chapter 16 through 20. So we're, we're just now at the transition from Jesus heading toward Jerusalem to him actually entering Jerusalem. Now, one thing to remember, too, is remember how we said Luke's gospel is, of course, for all people, but it especially speaks to the outcasts, the poor, the rejected, the marginalized. And there's a couple of passages in our reading this week that I think really reflect that. So I want to talk about those here today. The first one is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. This is in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. So just to recap the story here a little bit, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just to recap it. We have a a rich man who's wearing fancy clothes. He's basically wearing the clothes of royalty. And it says he lived in luxury every day. So he's living the high life. He's doing pretty well. But then it says, At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, a couple things here. First of all, we don't normally see names used in parables, but in this case, the name Lazarus actually means one whom God helps. So keep that meaning in mind. We'll come back to that. Now, what we see here is this this contrast between this life of luxury lived by this rich man and then a life of poverty lived by this man, Lazarus, sitting outside the the rich man's gate. But then we see a great reversal. In verse 22, the beggar dies, the poor man, Lazarus, he dies, and he's carried by angels 
to what the text says is Abraham's side. So in, in other words, he's welcomed into the fellowship of believers already in heaven, particularly Abraham, who's the father of the Jewish people. And there may be a reference here to, to the heavenly feast, because Luke 13 mentions Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the context of the feast in the kingdom of God. So we have this beggar, Lazarus, who goes to heaven. And in the meantime, the rich man dies and goes to hell. Or the Greek word here is Hades. Okay, He's separated from God. And, and the rich man cries out for relief from the agony of hell. And the reply from heaven is, Son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Now, we have to be very clear here. The point of this parable is not that if you are poor, you're automatically going to heaven, and if you're rich, you're automatically going to hell. Okay, that is not the point of this. That's not what the text is saying. I want to be 100% clear about that. But the story does make clear that God responds to the needs of the poor with compassion. And we see this all throughout Scripture. 1 Samuel 2.8 says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Psalm 22 says, The poor will eat and be satisfied. Psalm 35, You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and needy from those who rob them. Psalm 82 Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. And of course, we see this theme all over the book of Luke as well as we've been discussing in the past few weeks. So scripture is clear that God is passionate about caring for the needs of the poor. And on the flip side, God clearly condemns hoarding his blessings, keeping them to ourselves. Now, this parable is not saying, and I'm not saying, that wealth or material things are inherently bad. Okay, God does give us good gifts to enjoy. But remember the parable of the fool that we talked about last week, the rich fool. He built up these bigger and bigger barns, and he wanted to hoard everything for himself until he could basically retire, take it easy, kick back, and just enjoy life. And God called him a fool. Because God condemns hoarding his blessings. God condemns us using his blessings just to indulge ourselves while the poor and the needy are outside the gate. God condemns neglecting the poor. So what I want us to see here is that caring for the poor is not just some optional extra thing for a follower of Christ. It's at the heart of what it means to follow after Christ. We see this in Luke 19. It's the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Many of you know this story. Zacchaeus, is a, he's a short guy, and he can't see Jesus. Jesus is speaking. He's trying to see Jesus, so he, he climbs a tree. And then Jesus sees him. He calls him down, and Jesus goes into his home. And then Zacchaeus says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus gives away half of everything that he owns. And how does Jesus respond to that? He says, today salvation has come to this house. Now, did giving away his possessions earn his salvation? Of course not. No. 
Scripture makes clear that we're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. But Zacchaeus giving away his possessions was clear evidence that something had happened in his heart. Something radical had changed inside of him. A heart transformation had taken place. Understand that a heart that loves and follows Christ is always marked by concern for the poor and the oppressed. And on the flip side, the rich man in this story, going back to Luke 16, the rich man lived an unrepentant lifestyle of luxury with no concern for the poor. He showed no evidence of salvation, of heart change. But notice how the rich man in this story, in Luke 16, in verse 24, he calls Abraham Father Abraham. This rich man was likely a religious Jew who thought he was good. He thought he was set. He was a deceived religious person. And on the outside, his life looked good. He had it all. His heaven was on earth. But then his eternity was hell. Now, the point through all of this is not to make us question our salvation. Okay, but I do want us to ask, do we have a blind spot in our lives? Are we like the rich man in many ways who lives his comfortable life while the poor sit out outside of our door, outside our gate? Like we talked about last week, we may not think of ourselves as rich, but understand that 80% of the world lives on the equivalent of less than $10 per day. 80% of the world. Meanwhile, for our lifestyles, for the average American lifestyle, it costs about $165 per day. If we have clean water, shelter, clothes, food, and some mode of transportation, even if it's public transportation, we're in the top 15% of the world's people for wealth. So what are we doing to help the poor outside our gate? Now, I do want to be careful here too. Our motivation in all of this isn't guilt. It shouldn't be guilt. This isn't intended to be a guilt trip. But this makes me think of 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Understand, our motivation isn't guilt. It's love. If Jesus, who is God himself, if God himself laid down his life for us, how much more should we lay down our lives for each other? 2 Corinthians 8.9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What an incredible verse, right? Understand, it's the gospel that motivates us to care for the poor. Jesus became poor for us so that we can have eternal riches. Now we are to go and do the same for others. We obey Christ not out of guilt, but because we've been transformed. We've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. We are now new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. We've been redeemed. And we also recognize, like we talked about last week with having an eternal perspective, we recognize that we don't need to indulge ourselves because ultimately we're living for another world. 
Our true riches are coming in the next life, which Paul calls the life that is truly life. So I want to challenge us, and and we're going to circle back to this a little bit later, but how can we show the love of Christ to the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, the hurting? I want you to be thinking about this. But now there's another passage that I think applies well to this theme. It's found in Luke 18, and we find yet another rich man. And starting in verse 18, it says, A certain ruler asked him, Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All of these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, I want to point out something here. This guy, this rich man, he walks up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a slam dunk, Jesus, right? Don't we wish evangelism was that easy? Somebody just walks up to you and asks, how do I have eternal life? We'd have them praying the sinner's prayer in no time. But notice Jesus doesn't do that. He says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. What is Jesus doing here? Well, he's exposing this man's allegiance to his possessions. This man had a heart issue that needed to be addressed. But the rich man instead walks away sad. Jesus is making clear here that following him involves giving him our total allegiance. Following Jesus doesn't mean that you pray a prayer one time and then do whatever you want. No, it it means that he is our Lord. It means that we follow him. and, And as our sovereign Lord, understand he doesn't give options for people to consider. He gives commands for people to obey. When we follow Christ, he becomes number one in our lives. And I think there's a couple mistakes that we tend to make when we look at this passage. Sometimes people will say, well, this means that everyone, all followers of Christ, need to sell everything they have and give to the poor. But the New Testament doesn't support that. We know that some of the disciples still had a home. Some of them likely still owned boats as fishermen. And they had some sort of material support. But on the other hand... That doesn't mean that Jesus never calls people to give up everything for his sake. Robert Gundry, in a commentary on Matthew, says that Jesus did not command all his followers to sell all their possessions, gives comfort only to the kind of people to whom he would issue the command. So the point is that following Jesus involves complete surrender. 
Now, that may or may not for you involve giving up everything and leaving everything behind for his sake. But the point here is that he calls the shots in our lives, not us. So circling back to our our challenge here, I want to challenge us this week. Let's offer our lives to God as a blank check. We've looked at how Jesus, following Jesus, involves loving and caring for the poor and the marginalized. And and some of us may need to take some time and, and repent for our lack of concern for the poor. I know that this has been a huge blind spot in my life. It becomes so easy to get caught up in the the day-to-day grind and to overlook those who are in need all around us. But then what? After we repent, then what? What do we do? Well, I want to suggest let's offer our lives as blank checks. Let's say, Jesus, I recognize that you are the sovereign Lord of the universe. I submit fully to you whatever you would have me do, wherever you would have me go, whomever you would have me love. I will follow you no matter the cost. Now, I want to caution you here because I believe this is a prayer that God wants to answer. So don't take this lightly. If you pray this prayer, if you offer your life to God as a blank check, he very well might take you up on this. And lead you in in directions that you never expected. He might have you caring for and loving for people that you never expected to. Sharing the gospel with people that you never expected to. Going directions and places that you, you never thought you would. And it might cost you a lot. But here's the thing. You will never regret it. As Jesus says, you will store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, everlasting, eternal treasure. When we get to the end of our lives, when we get to eternity, we're never going to look back and say, you know what? I wish I would have kept more for myself. We're never going to say that. So let's lay it all on the line. Let's lay ourselves on the line, our resources, our talents, everything that God has given us. Let's lay it all on the line and offer our lives to God as blank checks. And let's say, God, use us however you will, wherever you lead us, whatever you have us do, we will follow, no matter the cost. So again, let's offer our lives to God as blank checks and let's see how he responds. 